from our reading of the passage of Scripture here in the Gospel of Mark, you've seen already uh, the points that I want to emphasize by way of review. You've seen how in this passage of Scripture, the Gospel according to Mark, that Mark presents Jesus Christ as the very good news of God, the Son of God come into the world. This is the good news for sinners. The fact that Jesus Christ has come into the world with the approval of the Father in order to work out your redemption and my redemption. The second thing that I want you to see, again by way of review, is what we took a look at last week. You remember how when we took a look at the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw two essential things. We saw, number one, this anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him by way of the Spirit of God coming upon him from heaven. And then secondly, we heard that great voice from heaven, the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so what we saw, what we saw last week was essentially this. Our Lord was anointed for his messianic task. And our Lord comes by way of coronation of the Father for the task at hand. So he was anointed for the task. There's a sense in which he is coronated for the task. And now what we will see today is in verses 12 and 13, our Lord tested for the task. Yes, he comes, from, he comes to us with the testimony of the, of, of the gospel writer Mark that he is the Son of God. We hear, as it were, from heaven the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son. But is he in reality? Will he be proven to be the Son of God? And I want you to see that this is what this passage of Scripture is all about. It is all about the testing of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is all about the proving of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? And why is this important for us? It's important for us because you need to understand that the one to whom you look to this morning in faith and by grace is the one who has shown himself to be completely sufficient to save your soul and to give you a right standing before a holy God. I want to emphasize that again. You see the, the condition that our souls are in before God as we stand outside of grace is, is, is very, is very uh, uh, hurtful. Not hurtful. It's, it's, very, it, it, it's, it, it's desperate is the word I'm looking for. The situation that we have before a holy God is desperate because where will we stand as sinners? None of us can even be satisfied with how we've conducted ourselves even before our own conscience. There are those times when our conscience speaks out against us. There are those times when others will accuse us, sometimes rightfully of sin. Where will we stand before a holy God? And what this passage of Scripture does for us is essentially this. It sets before us Jesus Christ as one who is tested, as one who is proven to be able to work out the work of salvation for you and for me. And so what I hope to do once again is to show you the Lord Jesus Christ coming through this testing and showing himself to be absolutely sufficient to be your Savior. You see, you have good reason and good ground to, to trust in Jesus Christ here this morning. And so that's what we'll do as we look through this passage of Scripture. Now again, the things that we've seen, and one of the things I want to emphasize even before we get into the temptation itself, and it's one of the interesting things about the Gospel of Mark as it treats the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ is that, it, is that it treats the temptation in somewhat of an abbreviated fashion. It's not dealing with the temptation with the same detail that Matthew or Luke deal with the temptation, uh, but, uh, but Mark definitely does deal with this temptation. And the reason why Mark seems to move by it somewhat quickly is not because he's not interested in it, and it's not because there's not a lesson for us in there. We're going to learn some lessons here. But what Mark is doing is Mark is placing this within the overall structure 
of the first chapter of this gospel, wherein Jesus Christ is set before us as the Son of God. You see, this is a claim that Mark will not move away from. As a matter of fact, this is a claim that establishes and gives efficacy to all that Jesus does. If Jesus Christ is not this Son of God manifest in the flesh, how can he save sinners? But because he is, and because he's proven to be, he is able to save all those who look to him in faith. So what, what Mark will do through this first gospel, he'll introduce to us the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, verse 1. He'll allow us to hear the voice of the Father, you are my beloved Son, verse 11. He will allow us to see the, the testing of the Son of God, verses 12 and 13. And then after that, what he'll do throughout the remainder of the chapter is he will show Jesus Christ in his function as the Messianic Son of God bringing salvation. He will be preaching the gospel in verses 14 and 15. He will be exercising authority over uh, demons in the other passages in this first chapter. He will be healing the lame in this chapter as well. He will be doing all these things in order that you can see and understand that he truly is the Son of God, sent of the Father in order to save us from our sins. So again, all these things by, by way of introduction. And what this brings us to then is essentially this. It brings us to the primary point of our passage, which is as follows. That through the temptation... Of our Lord, through the temptations of our Lord, he is proven to be the Son of God, and at this point, he begins his vanquishing work of the kingdom of Satan. You see, in this, in this very testing and in this very temptation, our Lord begins the dismantling of the kingdom of darkness. Our Lord comes onto the scene as one who is tested and tried. And in this testing and in this trying, he will begin to dismantle uh, the, kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of Satan. Now, why is this important for us? Because as I said before, I want you to know and I want you to have confidence in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That this one whom you claim as Lord and Savior is one who is sufficient to save your soul before a holy God. And so what we'll do as we work through this passage of Scripture, it's just the two verses we're going to look at today, uh, verses 12 and 13. We're going to look at them in, in, uh, by way of the three primary uh, movements that we see. Number one, we're going to see the Spirit of God driving the Lord Jesus Christ into the wilderness. Number two, we're going to see the actual temptation of our Lord in the wilderness. And then number three, we're going to see the ministry of angels uh, to our Lord after the time of temptation. And so these three things, the spirit driving, uh, the Satan tempting, and angels ministering are what we'll take a look at here today. And the first thing I want you to uh, notice here is the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming forth in order that this trial might come upon him. You remember what we said last week, that he came to the River Jordan to be baptized of John, not by way of mistake, but by way of deliberation. He made a conscious choice to come to the river in order to be baptized of John. And in that baptizing work, our Lord was being inaugurated for, uh, for his ministry. And at that point, he begins, as I said before, the entire dismantling of the kingdom of darkness. And it was a great work, again, that he's, that, he was, that he's engaged in here. And we'll see this as we, as we go on. Now, the first thing that I want you to take a look at then with me is 
our Lord Jesus Christ uh, under the compulsion of the Spirit of God being driven into the wilderness. Look here again at verse uh, 12. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. This is a, a very interesting expression that we see in this passage of Scripture. Because what we see here is that there is a particular emphasis upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit driving the Lord Jesus Christ by way of an internal compulsion, driving him into the wilderness. It's very interesting here because while the word, again, is a very strong word, uh, it's, it's, it's used in, uh, in other cases, uh, this word driveth. This word driveth is used in other cases of our Lord driving out demons or casting out demons. In this particular passage, it has a reference to the Spirit of God placing within the Lord Jesus Christ this compulsion to go and enter the field of battle. You see, he doesn't shy away from the task before him. He's not overwhelmed by the thought of engaging Satan in the wilderness, but rather the Spirit of God is driving him. The Lord Jesus Christ, by way of internal compulsion, is going into this wilderness experience. He is going there in order that he might be tested and tried, in order that he might work out, once again, for you and for me, our salvation. And so the word here, again, as I said before, it's a, it's a very strong word. Uh, it has the idea of a, of a strong impulse. Uh, some can refer to this as a, as a spiritual compulsion, a, an inner psychological movement of the soul to do what uh, the Spirit of God is calling him to do. And uh, a couple of, uh, of our translations, one translation uh, uh, translates this 12th verse as follows. Immediately, the Holy Spirit from within drove him out into the wilderness. You see, the two thoughts are combined here now. It's the willingness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is the, the driving force of the Holy Spirit. The, the New American Standard Bible translates it as follows. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go into the wilderness. And these thoughts are wonderful to see. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ by way of the willingness of his own person and by way of the direct agency of the Holy Spirit going forth to battle. He is taking on the prince of darkness. The strong man, as he's referred to in another, in another place in the scripture, will be disarmed. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ will not let us think in our own minds that there is one greater than, uh, the, 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 than the Lord Jesus Christ. This enemy will be vanquished. The one who is the great tormentor of your soul, as well as the tempter of your soul, is the one who has been vanquished by Christ. And this passage of Scripture opens before us all these realities. And I find this very, very interesting that our Lord Jesus Christ just doesn't come into the scene and the battle is ended. No, He must work this out. He must undergo true, again, uh, testing. And in this testing, He will come forth victorious uh, for the glory of His Father and for, the and for the good of His people. So again, we see the role of the Holy Spirit impelling him, the role of the Holy Spirit driving him. And I want to just make something of a point of application here. Isn't it a wonderful thing to see how the Spirit of God works in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ? Very shortly, we're going to see how that the Lord Jesus Christ is par excellence, the Spirit-filled man. Though if you want to see what a man living under the direction of the Holy Spirit looks like, it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But the other thing I want you to see is this, is that the Holy Spirit works by way of internal compulsion in the life of the believer also. That you and I have the blessed experience of having the movement of the Spirit of God leading us and driving us into certain situations. He leads us and He drives us into holiness. He leads us and He drives us into these uh, paths of righteousness. 
Listen to some passages of Scripture where we see this, this, this activating uh, energy of the Spirit of God in the life of the Christian. A passage like Haggai chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to this. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. What a picture. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. And here was this man being called to a great task. And the spirit of the Lord stirred him up. Again, we see something of this internal compulsion. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. We read of Paul. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred within him. And I can't hardly think that there was not an activity of the Holy Spirit in this as well. The Spirit of God stirring up the Spirit of Paul. In Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 5, we read the following. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Here was Paul pressed in the Spirit. You see, what all these things are signifying is that there is this internal compulsion, this internal work by way of the Spirit of God. He leads the Christian. He drives the Christian into these types of activities. And so again, here we have the Lord Jesus Christ being driven into the wilderness uh, by the Spirit of God. And it gives us a picture, again, of what the Spirit of God is able to do in our lives as well. But we have to come back to this idea of how the Lord Jesus Christ uh, operated in this world under the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As I said before, He was the Spirit-filled man par excellence. This work of the Spirit of God in the Lord Jesus Christ is to be seen in every, in every phase of His ministry, of His life even. In John 3.34, we've read this passage of Scripture before, but you need to know it. John 3.34, for, for He whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. And this is a reference to Jesus Christ. For, the, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto Him. You see, the, the ministry of the Spirit of God in the person of Jesus Christ is not just measured out. It's given without measure. The Spirit-filled man par excellence. This is again a, a fulfillment of one of, the pro, one of the many prophecies in the book of Isaiah by way of the servant of the Lord being filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Isaiah 11 uh, verses 2 through 5. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. What a wonderful picture. This is again, we saw something of this in the baptism, did we not? Here was the Spirit of God resting upon him. The significance, especially in the baptism, and as, as Mark records it, is that the Spirit of God rests upon him and enters into him. He is truly the Spirit-filled man. Again, Isaiah 11, verses 2 through 5, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. What a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see when the, when the Holy Spirit is driving him into the wilderness immediately after the baptism. You remember in the baptism he was, as I said, he was anointed for the work of redemption. He was coronated by the voice of the Father. Now here he goes into the wilderness to be tested, to be tried. And now in that he has the Spirit of God driving him into that very experience. Oh, how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Again, something else you need to have this just structurally in your thinking by way of the, the relationship between uh, the Son of God and the Spirit of God. Again, structurally you need to have this in your thinking. You need to understand that from His birth to His resurrection, the Spirit of God was intimately involved in every aspect of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, there He is in the Incarnation. Again, the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary. The power of the, of the Almighty overshadows her. There is the work of the Spirit in the incarnation and birth. In the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is there as well. We see in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself up without spot? You see, it was by means of the ministry of the Spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ was able to go to Calvary on your behalf and my behalf. You see, He was not bereft of the Spirit as he went to the cross. And then in his resurrection, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, but if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also, your, shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. So please understand that every aspect of our Lord's life and ministry was accompanied by the fullness of the Spirit of God. And it's by the Spirit of God now that he leads the Lord Jesus Christ into the wilderness to be tested. Wow, this introduces us to the whole idea of temptation and testing. What is it for our Lord Jesus Christ to be tested or tempted by Satan? It's a very interesting thing because we know by way of personal experience that temptation is essentially, we can say this, that temptation is a solicitation to evil on the part of Satan by way of drawing out some sinful tendency within us. A solicitation to evil by drawing out some sinful tendency within us. A solicitation to act upon an evil desire that's there within us. And so when we see our Lord Jesus Christ coming into to the wilderness to be tested or tempted, it's not by way of a solicitation of any evil principle within because there is none. But what Satan will be doing is he will be challenging the Lord Jesus Christ as to the declaration that he is the Son of God. And so what we're going to see here is that this temptation is in reality a test. He is testing. He is probing. He is attempting to get the Lord Jesus Christ to work in independence of his heavenly father. And again, stop and think it is the spirit of God who is leading him into this. Now, we have to understand some things about temptation and testing here that are very, very important. Number one, you must understand that to be tempted is not to sin. I want to say that again. You must understand that your temptations are not sinful. I'm sorry. Your temptations are not acts of sin in and of themselves. Now you have to hear me out here. While your temptation is not sin in and of itself, your allowance of temptation begins the process of sin. You understand what I'm saying? To be tempted is one thing. To shut the temptation down is right and proper. And as a matter of fact, if I can say it this way, where the temptation comes and we shut the temptation down, that is the Christian standing and passing the test of faith that he's in in that moment. Every temptation is not only a solicitation to evil, it's also the moment of testing of faithfulness. And so in the time of temptation, in the moment of temptation, what do we do with it? If I allow the temptation, if I allow the temptation to, what's the word I can use? To fester, to percolate, to, 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 to grow. 
this is the beginning of sin. But if I stop the temptation at the moment of temptation, that temptation has now become a test successfully endured. And in this way, faith is strengthened. How else can I say this? Maybe we can say it something like this. Temptation and testing may come very oftentimes in the same circumstance. The same circumstance that is a temptation that Satan intends by to solicit me to evil can also be a test whereby the Spirit of God enables me to stand. And that's the dividing line between temptation and testing. And it's essentially, it's essentially this, that in our trials and tests, Satan solicits us to sin. In our temptation, the Holy Spirit strengthens us to stand. Do you see the difference between the two? So there I am in a time of temptation. Satan solicits me to give in to evil passions. In that same moment, the Spirit of God strengthens me to stand. If I stand faithfully in Christ, that temptation has become a test successfully endured. That temptation is accomplished, excuse me, I'm sorry, that, uh, that test has accomplished uh, the purpose of God in allowing me to see the work of grace within me. But if I fail in that and give in to sin, I've been allowed to be, again, seduced into evil. I've given over willingly and willfully, again, that which God finds offensive. And so as these things come together, is the, is, is, is the Spirit of God leading the Lord Jesus Christ to be tempted in the evil? Of course not. The Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, the Spirit of God is leading the Lord Jesus Christ to stand and to be tested. And he will be tested at every point. And he will be tested with the full weight of satanic opposition. But he will come forth victoriously. Satan will find that he has nothing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in you and, 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 you and in me, there is something inside of us that Satan can make an appeal to. In the Lord Jesus Christ, there were no sinful tendencies. But there was the matter of obedience to the Father's will. And we're not going to look at it here this morning. Tonight we're going to develop uh, the, the particulars of the, of the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to come out to hear uh, again the, uh, uh, the, the, the sermon tonight because we will be looking at the very particulars of how uh, Satan tempts the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we're going to see in those particular temptations is this. It is, a, it is an attempt of Satan to have the Lord Jesus Christ act independently of the will of his Father. To receive in the immediate, uh, by way of his own will, what the Father has promised he will do in his own will, in his own time. And so, should the Lord Jesus Christ act independently of the Father, that would be sin. And when he sustains this temptation, and when he sets Satan fleeing, he stands victorious. The test now proves indeed that he is the Son of God. And so what we're seeing here then is this. We have this one who was tempted, as the scripture says, and every point is we are and yet without sin. We have this one again who comes forth in order to be tempted, in order that he, we might see for ourselves we have an all-sufficient Savior. Well, let's look now a little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, a little more, uh, more closely at uh, Satan's activity here. And again, we see this in the verse thirteen. And there was, and there he was in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan. Well, here we come to, the, to, to be introduced uh, to, this, to, this, uh, to, this, to this arch enemy of, of every one of our souls. We're introduced at this point to, to Satan. 
And what can we say about this evil, evil, evil personality? Well, in one sense, we have much information given to us right here. In the two designations that's given to him, that's given to him here. Notice again what we see here. He was uh, in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan. In one sense, these two, the, 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 this, this little phrase, tempted of Satan, gives us much information concerning Satan himself. First of all, the name or the title Satan. It's the name or the title means, actually means an adversary. In some cases, it's used as an accuser. And this is what Satan is. He is the adversary of the people of God. He is your adversary. And you must understand that everything that comes from him to this world that makes an appeal to the flesh is, again, designed by Satan for the destruction of your soul. Satan is not neutral towards you. Satan is not, again, kindly inclined to you. Satan is your adversary. He means your soul's destruction. And so we see here, by way of this little title, we have much information concerning him. But the other thing I want you to see here, he was tempted of the devil. He was tempted of Satan. And again, this is another uh, piece of information that gives us uh, uh, much, uh, many things helpful. This is Satan's activity. He is the great tempter. Now, as I said before, I'll go back over it again. What is, what is temptation? It is that solicitation, the evil, that Satan brings our way whereby he is trying to draw out from us what is displeasing to our Holy Father. Again, James says this, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You see, Satan is able to work with something inside of us. There is, by way of our fallen nature, by way of our sinful inclination, something that Satan finds inside of us to try to draw out. The Christian's great blessing in this world is that having been given a new nature and having, give, having been given the Spirit of God, he or she is able to resist the temptation. He or she can see temptation and turn that temptation into a test successfully endured. And in that way, faith is strengthened. And here we have the Spirit of God leading us in the time, leading us through the temptation. He's not taking us into temptation. He leads us through the temptation. And it gives victory to the people of God. And so again, we have much, even in this little phrase, to be tempted of the devil. As I said before, uh, the word devil means accuser. Uh, the word Satan, uh, the word, yes, the word devil means accuser. Uh, the word Satan means adversary. And other places in the scripture, uh, uh, Satan is referred to as the god of this world, the prince of darkness, the prince of the power of the air. He's called the accuser. He's called the tempter. He's called the adversary. He's called the deceiver. He's called the liar. He's called the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. The scripture speaks of him of, of taking people captive at his will. He is the great enemy of the soul. And so I want you to see and I want you to understand one of the reasons why the spirit of God is leading, driving, and the reason, one of the reasons why the Lord Jesus Christ has this inner compulsion to go forth is to go forth to battle, to defeat this one on his own terms. This is your conqueror gone forth. This is the Son of God taking up your cause. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, again, in the moment of your most inflamed temptations, being able to present to you a Savior who can help you in your time of temptation. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes to battle willfully. We might even ask the question, was this conflict, was this designed by Satan, or was this orchestrated by the Spirit of God in order to defeat Satan? Well, it's an interesting thing because we see, number one, that the Spirit of God is driving Jesus into the wilderness. 
But it's also interesting that we all that we see, and again, the, this some of this information is taken from Mark and Luke as well. We also see in other places that it's only after the forty days of fasting, when the Lord Jesus Christ is in a weakened state, that Satan now comes and he begins the tempting process. And so. Does the Spirit of God lead Jesus in the wilderness to vanquish the foe? I believe so. Does Satan come to test and to try to knock Jesus Christ off of his purpose? Yes, in one sense they're both there together. But let us not overlook the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is going forth to conquer this, your adversary. He's going forth to silence him, your accuser. <clears throat> He's going forth in order that we might see in Jesus Christ one who we can go to in our times of temptation. Oh, Lord Jesus, you know my temptations. Oh, Lord Jesus, you who have been tempted beyond what I would ever be able to tempt it, be, be, be able to be tempted. Help me in my time of temptation. Have you gone to your Savior in this way? You see, this is one of the things, that we're, this is one of the lessons we learned from this passage of Scripture. That Christ, again, is the great helper of all those who find themselves in temptation. And this brings us then, again, not just to the identity of Satan, but to the question, why? Why was our Lord tempted? And I would suggest to you at least three things come into this uh, question as to why the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted. At least three things. Number one, as I said, I've been making the point all along, he is tempted in order to give evidence that he truly is the Son of God. In one sense, this is the great pivotal issue in the Gospel of Mark. As I said before, this, this entire first chapter all revolves around this idea that, excuse me, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Again, Mark declares it in verse 1. The Father proclaims it in verse 11. Everything you're going to see from verses 14 to the end of the chapter all revolve around various aspects of Christ as the Son of God. You're going to come down to, to chapter 15 at the very crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see the centurion say, truly, this man was the Son of God. You see, the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is the very point of the Gospel of Mark. And so when we find the Lord Jesus Christ being driven into the wilderness by the devil... He, I'm sorry, forgive me, being driven by into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to confront the devil. The purpose of that is to show indeed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so again, Satan's defeat begins at this very moment. So number one, to give evidence that he is the Son of God. Number two, the second reason why our Lord is doing this is that, is that in order that he might be equipped to be our mediator and the one who brings us to God. You see, if the Lord Jesus Christ had failed in this, he would have been no more help to us than what Adam is. Adam, our first parent who sinned. But now Jesus Christ comes forth as the second Adam, the one who is now able to begin a new race of men, a new race of, of individuals. And now the Lord Jesus Christ stands as our mediator. So he comes into this time of, te of testing in order that he might be proven to be the Son of God. Secondly, in order that he might be our mediator. But thirdly, in order that he might uh, be enabled to help all who are tempted, who, who, are, who themselves are tempted. We see this again in, in the book of Hebrews, do we not? Hebrews chapter 2, where it says to us that uh, because he was tempted, he is able to succor or to help all those who are also tempted. So my friends, I ask you the question. In your times of temptation, do you look to Jesus Christ to help you? In your times when temptations seem to be overwhelming, and we know how temptation works. 
We know that how we sometimes allow for temptation. And this is where we've begun to sin. You see, every time, you've, every time you stop temptation in its track, that which Satan meant to be a solicitation of the evil has now become a successful test in your faithfulness. Your faith is strengthened in that way. Amen. And so you see that when, when, we, when we give over to these things, we really begin to enter into the, very, into the very action of sin. And so again, God give us grace in these things. So this is why we see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in order that he might help those who are tempted. Uh, the other thing I want you to see here is this, not only the question, why was our Lord Jesus Christ? The other thing I want you to consider uh, with us or to, to look with me is how the Lord Jesus Christ was victorious in this time of temptation. Now, again, we're not going to see this here in Mark. Mark, just as I said, treats this very quickly. But I want you to see that our Lord in his temptation is proven to be victorious, not by way of a display of his divine power. What do I mean by that? We don't just see the Lord Jesus Christ defeating Satan by way of a, 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 just a, a, an outright uh, a ex, a exercise of divine power a complete supernatural undoing of Satan. We don't see that. But what we see and the way we see our Lord Jesus Christ being victorious in this time of testing really comes down to a number of important points that you and I should not only recognize, but that you and I should embrace by way of our own identity. And what I mean by that is this. Number one, it's not until the Lord Jesus Christ has verbalized the approval of the Father in his baptism that he goes forth to this temptation. He goes into temptation knowing the Father's approval. I want that to be significant to you. I want you to think of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ goes into the time of temptation knowing that the Father is with him. This is not something he's doing in order to maybe secure the Father's favor. He has the Father's favor. And child of God, listen to me. Every time you enter a time of temptation, you're, you do so as a child of God. The Father has made great expressions of love for your soul. The Father has tenderly brought you from one place to another place. You're in this thing not on your own. You're in this with the very love of God upon you. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is able to come up out of the waters hearing the voice of the Father, Thou art my beloved Son, Stop and think of the writing of Paul in the Ephesians where he says to every one of you who know Jesus Christ by faith that you are accepted in the beloved. So you come into the time of testing and temptation with the realization that you are accepted by God the Father. God is with you in these things. Let us not turn our back on that. But the second thing I want you to see is this, that it's the Spirit of God who drove him into this time of temptation. We, we made, we've, we've made this point already. Here he comes into the time of testing and it's the Spirit of God who's leading him. Oh, my Christian friends, do you understand that you and I have this great blessing of the Spirit of God leading us? And as I said before, he doesn't lead us into sin. He leads us through our times of temptation in order that we might stand fast. But the most obvious thing that we see, and we'll see this again tonight, the most obvious thing that we see is the great weapon of our Lord Jesus Christ is not only the awareness of the Father's approval, not only the awareness of being moved by the Spirit of God to enter into the time of testing, but it's primarily the Word of God. We're going to see tonight that every temptation that Satan throws at the Lord Jesus Christ is, 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 uh, is, uh, is defeated by the quotation of Scripture. Scripture is the Christian's great weapon in this whole thing. 
And so may God give us grace to understand these things. So when we ask ourselves, how did our Lord overcome? He didn't overcome. He didn't stand faithful in the time of testing just by way of the, uh, by way of a display of divine power. No, he went into the testing much like you and I do. He went into the testing with the Father's approval, accepted in the Beloved. He went into the testing by way of the Spirit driving. Here you and I are led by the Spirit of God. He came out of the testing by way of, by way of depending, upon the Spirit, depending upon the Word of God. You and I having the sword of the Spirit. And I bring these things out because I want you to see and understand. Not only is our Lord Jesus Christ being shown to be the Son of God, the true mediator of our souls, the sufficient Savior for all who look, the help of all who are tempted, I want you to see that he gives us something of an example here as well. In our times of temptation, brothers and sisters, let us remember that God has set his love upon us. In our times of temptation, brothers and sisters, let us remember that the Spirit of God can lead us out of these things. In our times of temptation, brothers and sisters, let us remember that by means of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, what Satan intends for a solicitation to evil is an opportunity of the Spirit of God to allow us to stand. Faith is now strengthened. The Christian has come forth victorious. The Son of God has conquered and vanquished Satan's kingdom and power. Oh, this one who has come forth. Praise for God is right. This one who has come forth on our behalf. How we thank God for this. And so we've seen why he was tempted. We've seen how he was tempted and how he was victorious. But there's one more thing I want you to, or two more things I want you to be aware of, and, and they are here in the passage of Scripture, and this is why we're bringing it out. Look again at verse 13. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan. Now, I want you to, it's not, a, it's not a necessarily a major point, but I want you to be aware of it. In the, uh, in the Gospel, I think it's of Matthew, uh, Luke and Matthew um, uh, have different points of emphasis. I believe it's in Matthew. Matthew says that after 40 days he was tempted. I believe Luke makes mention of the point, makes mention of the fact that he was tempted during the 40 days. Mark is saying he was tempted during the 40 days. How do we understand this? What I want you to understand is that our Lord Jesus Christ was, was tempted throughout the 40-day ordeal. And those temptations culminated at the end of the 40 days. When the Lord Jesus Christ again was a hungered, the scriptures say, now Satan comes. And what does he do? He makes this appeal for the Son of God to do that which is not sinful in and of itself, to eat bread. But the appeal is that he would do that in independence of the purpose of his Father. If I can give you a little hint of tonight's sermon. You see, Satan, is, Satan can only offer to Christ that which is really rightfully his bread there's nothing wrong with that and how many times does satan tempt us with things that god is more than happy to give us in the right time and in the right way and the thing that satan is trying to do here is trying to have our lord jesus christ act independently of his father that's for tonight though but again, I want you to understand that it was, in, it was during the entire 40 days uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted. And this reminds us, really, that he was, and he was tempted throughout his entire life, as well as these 40 days. Uh, we see, uh, again, um, uh, this in a number of places. Uh, in Luke chapter 22, verse 28, he says to, the, his, to his disciples the following. He says, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. Now, they weren't there in the 40 days in the wilderness. 
But he says to them, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. What do we see here? That Christ's entire ministry, during Christ's entire ministry, there was a continual, there were continual temptations placed upon him. Temptations by way of, again, acting independently of the Father's will. Temptations by way of the hostility of the religious leaders. Temptations by way of the, 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 the unbelief of, of those that were around him. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted throughout his ministry. He was especially tempted in the Garden of Gethsemane when, again, in prayer he was agonizing. And do you remember when we looked at the, our Lord's uh, uh, crucifixion, uh, uh, our last, uh, uh, last Good Friday service, we noted that our Lord Jesus Christ was again especially tempted when he was on the cross. Tonight we're going to see in the words uh, coming from the mouth of Satan in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, these words, And the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. That was, temp- that was Satan's temptation. If thou be the Son of God. Command that these stones be made, be made bread. And he, when he was on the cross, he faced the same. He had these same words thrown at him. When he was there on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 40, the religious, the religious leaders stand around and they say this, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. If thou be the Son of God, turn stones into bread. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. The same temptations are there. Our Lord Jesus Christ was tempted throughout his entire life and ministry. But he stood again, vanquishing all of Satan's uh, devices, all of Satan's plans, all of Satan's methods come crashing down. So here we see again why our Lord was tempted, how he was tempted, when he was tempted. And one more thing I want you to see here, because I believe that the text is stressing this, not a great stress, but it's there, where he was tempted. Notice again, and he was there in the wilderness, Tempted in the wilderness, forty days. Tempted of Satan. Why the emphasis here on the wilderness? Well, I believe that the the purpose of Mark is essentially for for this reason. I think that Mark is purposely setting in contrast the environment in which Adam was tempted and the environment in which our Lord was tempted. You see, when Adam was tempted in the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect. It was a truly an Eden. It was a perfect environment. He had, again, a, a helpmeet who was suitable for him. He was there with the beasts that were not wild beasts that were all in subjection to him. And so everything, was, everything was, was, was perfectly conditioned for Adam to obey. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ in much different circumstances. He was there 40 days, again, in the wilderness. Again, alone in a solitary place. The wild beasts were with him. Why the emphasis on the wild beasts? I think it's stressing the danger of it. And again, the point that Mark is making is this. In every way, our Lord came under trial. And in every case, he showed himself victorious. This was, the beginning of the, this was the beginning of the dismantling of Satan's kingdom. Why did Jesus Christ come into the world? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. And so I want you to see and understand that in this time of testing in the wilderness, he begins the work of conquest and he vanquishes uh, our, our, uh, our eternal enemy. And the last thing I want you to see then, we saw the spirit driving, we saw Satan tempting, and the last thing, and we'll cover this quickly, that I want you to see are the angels ministering. Again, notice here what we have in, uh, in, uh, in verse uh, 13. 
uh, and the angels ministered unto him. Well, again, this is uh, something that uh, we should give uh, uh, some attention to. We're not going to develop this to any, uh, to any great degree. But I want you to see uh, what we see here is what we see in other places in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we read this concerning angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them that who shall be the heirs of salvation? Here was the Lord Jesus Christ, again, understand, not displaying his divine power, but in the fullness of his humanity, under the control of the Spirit of God, being tested and proven that he is the Son of God, manifest in the flesh. Here he has the ministry of angels, the same thing that you and I have, brothers and sisters. The ministry of the Spirit, the same thing that you and I have. The availability of the Word of God, the same thing that you and I have. All of this is proving to show to us then what this all means when we begin to think to ourselves, okay, how does all this value, uh, excuse me, how, how does all this uh, come home to us by way of value? And I would suggest to you the following things. Number one, this temptation and our Lord's victory in his temptation shows to us that our actual salvation is all dependent upon the great and now tested proven fact that Jesus is the Son of God. As I said before, if Jesus had failed in this temptation, there would be no gospel to write. If Jesus had failed in this temptation, there would be no gospel to preach. If Jesus had failed in this temptation, there could be no dying for the sins of the world. If Jesus had failed in this temptation, there could be no raising from the dead of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and I would still be in our sins. So the fact that Jesus Christ comes into this temptation, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ stands in the test, the fact that he comes out, again, with the approval of God upon him, means that you and I can know for certain that we have a Savior who can do the task that he was given to do, which is to save those who call upon his name. The second thing I want you to see by way of what this should do to us, understanding our Lord's temptation, is it should develop in us a, a, a devotion and a love for Christ because all of what he did, he did not do for himself, he did for you and me. This task was accomplished in order that your salvation and my salvation might be secured. And so what I would say to you is this, understand, when you go to this one who is the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the one who was tested for you. He was the one who came forth victorious for you. The third thing I would say by way of our application is that, and we're going to see this develop tonight, is that we are given insight into the wiles and the devices of the devil. You see, the devil has these certain methods that he uses. And we're going to see again that sometimes the, the temptations of Satan are very, very subtle, very, very slight, only a whisper of a suggestion. And other times Satan comes upon us with the full weight of all of the weaknesses of our own human flesh crashing upon us. But we're going to see tonight, and what we have given to us here, is our Lord Jesus Christ, in those very moments, shows us how to proceed with an awareness that we are accepted by God, with an awareness that the Spirit of God is there for us, with an awareness that the Word of God is effective in these situations. But this brings us to the last point, and what I want you to see is this, that what the testing and what the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ reminds us of is that in my most severe temptations, there is one who has been more severely tested and tempted than me. And this one who has been severely tested and tempted is the one who is determined to be my helper in all of my trials and temptations. Amen. My Christian friends, I ask you the question, when was the last time when you were in the throes of temptation, 
Some of us know what it is to be in the throes of temptation. When was the last time when you were in the throes of temptation did you ask Jesus Christ, your friend, to help you come through this temptation in order that it might be a test wherein you stand fast in the faith? Jesus Christ tested, tempted, approved of God, now the mediator and the savior of sinners. This same Jesus is with you in all of your testings, in all of your trials, in all of your temptations. My friend, let us ever look to him and let us find in him that help that he so freely offers. Let us pray.